Okay, uh, welcome back. We're here for another episode of Redbeard Radio, um, and I'm super excited today to talk about everything uh, Bitcoin and stacks. Before we jump in, first off, this podcast is sponsored by Alto. They're a self-directed IRA platform that lets you invest in a range of alternative assets across private equity, venture capital, real assets like farmland and fine wine, cryptocurrency, private startup angel deals, and more. Their APIs support hassle-free investments through leading integrated partners and their integration with Coinbase offers hundreds of cryptocurrencies. Alto also has their new platform, Alto Marketplace, which offers accredited investors access to exclusive leading fund deals that are typically reserved for institutional investors and the ultra wealthy. Explore all your investment options with Alto and invest in what interests you. Please visit altoira.com slash market marketplace to learn more. And with that said, let's jump in. Um, I'm super excited. I have my old buddy, Kyle Ellicott, here joining me today. Kyle, what's up, my man? Hey, hey. I'm excited to be here. Does Elto, is there anything they don't do? I yeah, mean, that was an awesome intro. There are tons so, of stuff. Yeah, totally. And I'm actually, I've been a customer. I started as a customer before we even invested because it's really interesting. It allows you to invest out of your IRA in high upside startups. And we've all heard that story of Peter Thiel who invested in Facebook out of his IRA. And now his, his IRA went from a you know a couple hundred thousand to you know billions of dollars in value or whatever it is. So um, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool uh, platform. Absolutely. Well, now also even cooler with the fact that we have the launches of the recent ETFs. So we have 12 plus ETFs focused around cryptocurrency, specifically around Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So now that not only is there the potential to invest out of your IRA through Alto, but also uh, all these now publicly listed uh, trade funds as well. Yeah, we're, getting a, um, we're getting a lot more visibility in the ecosystem and it's, it's yeah. A, it's an exciting time. It's a really fun time. And okay, so let's just jump in first. Kyle, maybe you can introduce yeah. yourself. Um, Kyle works with Bitcoin Frontier Fund. Uh, he's been a very active investor uh, across the, the Bitcoin ecosystem for quite a few years now um, and has been around the Frontier tech space for a long time. Kyle, why don't you just kind of give some context and, and tell people your journey a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I've, I've had a very fortunate journey in being able to work with a number of organizations and projects and uh, teams across across the world over a number of years, and including yourself. Uh, I drew as well. And uh, yeah, so uh, for the last few years, uh, Bitcoin Frontier Fund, I started as the uh, partner and managing director about two and a half years ago after the Stacks Network, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, uh, launched its main nets. So this was about 2001. Uh, and 2021. Uh, 2021. Yeah, t- thank you. <laughs> We went too far back. Pre, too pre, far Bitcoin, pre Bitcoin was stocks. <laughs> Marty McFly over here jumping, yeah. jumping back in time, jumping ahead. So yeah, January 2021, uh, Stacks Network went into mainnet. Uh, April 2021, Stacks Ventures, which today is called Bitcoin Frontier Fund, debuted as the first ecosystem fund for the Stacks Network and those building on Stacks. Uh, as well. And so I was very lucky and fortunate to join Trevor Owens, the managing uh, partner there as well, uh, in that journey of investing in a number of the early projects that we're building on Stacks and then later building on Bitcoin. Fast forward two and a half years, uh, Bitcoin Frontier Fund now uh, is one of the leading investors in projects built on Bitcoin, whether that's an L2 or Layer 2 like Stacks through to other uh, protocols, ordinals, and others that we'll discuss all the way up through the application layer 
uh, as well. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be, again, a partner there and now continue to support and be involved throughout the greater Stacks ecosystem as well. Okay. All right. So we've used the word Stacks a lot. I don't even know yeah. how people know about Stacks yet. Can you give us an overview on what Stacks is, how it relates to Bitcoin? You know, what is it solving for? Let's just, you know, give us the the, the kind of general overview here so people can understand it. Yeah, many, many moving pieces to this puzzle. Maybe to kind of start, uh, take a step back for half a second. So uh, for today's discussion, we'll probably reference Bitcoin a number of times. And I'll do my best to reference Bitcoin as a network or Bitcoin L1, and then BTC or Bitcoin as an asset um, throughout the, today's conversation. Because where Stacks fits in this entire world that up until about a year and a half ago was just known, known as uh, Bitcoin, Stacks, Lightning, individualized networks to now what's called Bitcoin layers, where we look at the Bitcoin L1 network as the foundational layer to many other layers built on top of that. So that goes from an L1 Bitcoin to L2s, layer two scaling solutions, uh, like Stacks, Rootstock, Liquid, Lightning, many others that uh, have recently announced, uh, all the way up through layer threes to then where we have middleware, that comes into areas like data and storage and many others. Think of it as the API, API layer that connects all this fun stuff we're going to talk about into the application layer uh, mm -hmm. that we would all use in some capacity. So that's a short and sweet uh, bit of context, hopefully, for everybody. But uh, yeah, Stacks itself uh, is a Bitcoin layer two project. It started back in uh, 2017 by Ryan Shea and Maneev Ali, and the purpose was to enable smart contracts for Bitcoin or bring programmability to Bitcoin. Because inherently, Bitcoin does not offer true programmability, and it's also, by nature, uh, very slow. Uh, and there's reasons for that, but uh, Stacks and other L2s have been developed to bring scalability and then also programmability to leverage uh, the security and stability that the Bitcoin core network uh, has as well. And as I mentioned, the network itself launched in mainnet back in January 2021 and brought smart contracts and then also a decentralized application or dApps ecosystem uh, that was all secured all the way back down to Bitcoin layer one as yeah. well. Super. So a lot in there. Yeah, Plenty more to discuss, that was great. That was great. That was super interesting. And like, you. can you talk first about you know like where where are we? Like, where, where are we in the current state of Stacks? Like, how is yeah. it growing? And like, you know, as someone who's like you know very much you know your business and your job is very much correlated to its development and growth. Like, you know, what are the some of the metrics that you look at to to like kind of see? Oh, we're making progress here. Yeah. So let me take a step back on where we are now. So. Yeah. Uh, we're about 15 years into the entire Web3 industry, uh, right? So for context, for those who don't know, the first Genesis block, or excuse me, the announcement or white paper of Bitcoin came in 2008, the Genesis block in 2009. Fast forward, here we are in 2024. My goodness, it's so long, 15 some odd years. Fast forward, we, we now have this flourishing industry of, of Web3. Mm -hmm. And in that time, Bitcoin has stayed tried and true as a network. There have been a few different development moments within, but the real massive amount of development 
came in 2017, and that was around the Ethereum ecosystem. And for the last almost six years, we've seen a surge of growth around the Ethereum ecosystem. And a lot of that moment was sparked by an event, Drew, you and I have talked endlessly about, and that was um, called the the CryptoKitties moment uh, Mm -hmm. and a few others where uh, NFTs began, non-fungible tokens began really starting to see momentum, seeing excitement, Mm -hmm. and that almost broke Ethereum, essentially creating this scaling need for an ecosystem. And then six years of development created a, again, flourishing ecosystem. Where Bitcoin is today is after a number of years, we've seen a few different upgrades to the major core network from SegWit to Taproot, enabling small pieces of infrastructure along the way. And last year in 2023, January, we saw a very similar cultural and technology type or innovative type moment spark around Bitcoin. Uh, and that was when Ordinals launched uh, yeah, in January 2023. I was, I was actually going to dig into that with you, but yeah, I'm curious yeah. what you are that. So to, to take this incredibly long journey and story uh, that I'm giving, yeah. the last year in a few months now has seen a surge of technology and innovation across the Bitcoin ecosystem, where in the end of 2022, there was only a handful of protocols that were being talked about, uh, what is referred to as kind of the core four. So Lightning, Rootstock, Stacks, and Liquid, to mm-hmm. now an explosive landscape that includes ordinals to map protocol to uh, interlay and about 30 other <laughs> different protocols whether they are a true layer two scaling solution to uh, maybe something design specific made for say gaming or decentralized finance or something else. And two years ago, we saw the beginnings of applications. We saw 20 to 30. Today, we're seeing over hundreds of applications across these ecosystems Mm -hmm. and several bridging protocols to early roll-ups to uh, tons of and user applications yeah. as well. So and are there are there is there anything that you've seen so far? Like I guess I would say like listen, across all of web three, I think maturity yeah. and adoption at the application layer is still in its early in its infancy in general. Yeah. I would say if I was to, you know, think about some of the, you know, there's some on there's like, you know, immutable and, the, and and all the work they're doing on the gaming side and the adoption happening there. There's, you know, obviously De- uh, DeFi protocols like Uniswap and and Ave and other things of that nature. Where do you have you seen any of these early applications start to you know, get some adoption at the user and application level? I would say we've seen some, but not a great deal. I mean, at the end of the day, the Ethereum or EVM, so Ethereum virtual machine, but we'll call it EVM from here on out. The Ethereum ecosystems have seen the most user adoption and for for good reason. Uh, Again, you know, six years worth of development, tons of seasonal events, whether that's DeFi summer or NFT summer or any other, uh, again, major catalyst that we've had. And to the point, Polygon, Flow, uh, Ava, uh, Immutable, and some of those others that you mentioned as well have focused on very consumerized, uh, excuse me, uh, consumer-focused applications. Um, A few enterprise, but again, mostly consumer. On the Bitcoin side, we really haven't had that kind of programmability uh, in 
application use up until about two years ago. Fast forward a year ago is when we really started to see that activity driven by the launch of ordinals. And that has begun further, uh, I would say, consumer adoption as well. But we're not nearly there as to what Ethereum has sparked. But course, the greater Web3, as you and I and have I think, about, and I, still I think what, Yeah, and it's interesting also because I think that Solana, even as a layer one, has also come in and proven that with architectural um, enhancements to what exists today, yeah. you're going to get some adoption. And we're seeing that with Solana right now. That's I Thank you for, for mentioning. I, I, I forgot to note Solana in that list. And you're right. So Solana is another good example. Um, you know, there is some discussion around centralization versus decentralization when it comes to the network. But here mm-hmm. on out, aside from that, I mean, you've, you've got the performance level. You've got tons of applications that are either um, natively built on Solana or are mm-hmm. bridging over to Solana and utilizing them as a second or third uh, network. And yeah, you've got a lot of user adoption mm-hmm. over there as well. Yeah. Uh, I would put Polygon back in that conversation. Yeah. Flow saw some yeah. uh, initial uh, traction as well with a number of games and a number of NFT-driven based applications as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, Solana is is a great example. I think Polygon's starting to see more traction on the gaming side yeah. uh, as well, that they're publicly announcing uh, day by day in new partnerships. And also with the recent release of... Um, some of the efforts they have in the ZK yeah, yeah. Uh, EVM area as well. Yeah. But that gets into a whole nother technical area that I might not be yeah. <laughs> uh, too versed to go down in terms yeah. of the rabbit hole. But Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about why people want to build on Bitcoin. Like, what is it, yeah. what is it about the Bitcoin ecosystem and infrastructure that is, is making people attracted to saying, hey, like I want to build infrastructure, I want to build programmability, I want to build on top of their layer twos, I want to build applications, when there is some already layer ones and layer twos that are starting to reach the maturity level to enable um, a lot of what people would be looking to do in Web3, why is, why is building in the Bitcoin ecosystem um, attractive? Yeah, so I think first and foremost, uh, looking at the numbers. So I haven't pulled the latest numbers today, so I'll go with, with what I have as reference. But we have over $800 billion in, in untapped, unutilized, unmoved it's capital. Yep. It's, it's, it's way more than that. I, it's probably north of almost 900, but we'll just call it 800 plus uh, right now. So that's part of the reason. How we have all this untapped capital, what can we do with it? How can we utilize it in some way or make it usable. Uh, And then second is stability and security. Uh, As I mentioned, the Bitcoin network has been the longest tried and true of all the networks to date as that's how a lot of this entire industry began and and has been been built off of. Yeah, it's it's the most decentralized, most stable, and then the most secure Mm -hmm. as to really take it down in any capacity. To this point, you still need uh, a 50 51 plus percent attack on the network. But with that decentralization, a lot of the compute power that we have today still isn't able to fully um, be able to utilize to take advantage of such a, such an attack as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's, so, so that, that makes a lot of sense. I guess what I want to do. So capital, yeah. decentralization, and then uh, sure. stability. Yeah. And stability. Security. Yeah. yeah. So let's let, let the, the capital part of it is really interesting because what it makes me immediately go to is that, probably the most opportunistic area 
for applications then would be the DeFi area. Because if you can start to you to provide utility to all that like capital that just bottled up, um, that's a massive unlock. Can you t- let's let's maybe start there a little bit? What are, what are we seeing so far in the DeFi area? You know, what are you excited about that's happening in that in that specific arena? Yeah, so the decentralized finance or DeFi area it, category is probably one of the most um, pronounced, as you mentioned, in the in the Bitcoin ecosystem uh, across protocols. So whether that's a network like Stacks, Lightning, Liquid, um, RSK, or it's some of the others that are up and coming as well. Decentralized finance is a core piece of that, if not the leading piece as well. I mean, in the last two and a half years, I was thinking before you and I got on of just some of those different categories. Otherwise, we've seen everything from e-commerce, gaming, uh, to custody, multi-sigs, stable coins, discrete log contracts, bridges, aggregators, to centralized social media. I mean, everything and then some, but if we really dig into it, a lot of those all roll back up into finance. So lending and borrowing to uh, liquid, uh, staking and stacking, which I'll come back to as to why it's called stacking, to uh, new financial layers, decentralized exchanges, perps, uh, aggregators uh, as well. Where I'm starting to see some really exciting interest is around the lending and borrowing side of this, back to the capital. You got 800 plus billion dollars that has not done anything. What can you do with it? Can you start to lend against it? Can you start to borrow with it? Uh, can you start to earn off of it in some capacity uh, as well? And then uh, looking at the staking or stacking category as well, uh, as we have in the ecosystem of Ethereum, we have staking, where you're able to stake various assets and earn off of those to support the network's growth and stability. Are there sta- is, is there staking um, is, is staking prevalent with Bitcoin? I know it's I know I've seen some stuff with stacks now, but um, like I don't you know it's it's funny like I, I stake my Ethereum, I stake Solana. I don't even know if my Bitcoin is staked right now. So, like, is there is there clear places to be staking, and 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 what value does that do in the Bitcoin ecosystem? Yeah. So, when it comes to the Bitcoin ecosystem right now, it's mostly focused around, and we're going to see more as uh, a lot of these protocols further develop and uh, come to market here in the next six to twelve months uh, as well. But uh, in the Bitcoin ecosystem right now, a lot of that is focused around stacks, and instead of staking, it's called stacking. And that's where you're able to lock up your uh, uh, Stacks token or STX, which is the native token of the Stacks network. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the only networks to have its own native token. You're able to uh, stack that uh, in stacking pools uh, for about a two-week period. And then instead of yielding the STX, or again, it's native token, you actually yield back Bitcoin which is a very unique feature of the network. Uh, And about a month and a half ago, liquid stacking was just introduced by a project called Stacking DAO, uh, which now is on its way, yeah, it's almost 50 million uh, TVL or total value locked in 45 days. And that is the ability to uh, quickly move in and out uh, your STX, again, your Stacks token and yield back uh, STX, or excuse me, ST, uh, STX, uh, in return as well. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so that's kind of where it's focused at right now. Um, again, I know there's a number of uh, layer twos or new protocols that are coming up yep. that may introduce similar features as well. Yeah. So um, 
Well, I'm going to push that aside for a quick second. Let's just keep sure. going with stacks for a little bit more. So specifically to stacks, you mentioned the stacks has a token, um, as a native token to the ecosystem. Can you talk a little bit about the token, why it may accrue value, just why is that an attractive token for people that are considering, you know, maybe potentially utilizing it or staking it or stacking it or, you know, anything else? Yeah, it's it's a wonderful question. So uh, we forgot to say this at one point, or maybe it is in, in the preview, but I'll just reemphasize it. Yeah. You know, everything I say here, anything we talk about is educational and informative yeah. only. It is not financial advice. Do your uh, own research. Okay, yeah. there we go. We got that. Yeah. We got we re got that out of the way yeah. uh, as well. So um yeah, so the the network does have its own native token. Uh it's STX. Uh it is uh listed, you can check it out on CoinGecko. It's now as of today uh, a top 40 uh project as well on uh CoinGecko and a few other websites. Uh it is one of the only networks to have its own native token. Uh that token is generally used in uh, gas and transactions uh, as well. Um, but again, it does have some additional features where instead of just using it for transactions, if you may have uh, purchased the asset in some capacity, uh, instead of just holding on to it like any other asset, uh, you can uh, do, again, uh, stacking uh, with it as well. And that was a choice that uh, the original creators of Stacks made as a conscious decision, having looked at the other layer twos, the other protocols that existed, and how they were using some version of Bitcoin, uh, whether it was wrapped or their own version of uh, a BTC type asset as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so Stacks is accruing, the, the Stacks Foundation, it generates revenue from transaction fees. Is that you know pretty much the, the core revenue stream? Yeah, so I can't comment on how the foundation uh, makes capital. Is that something, or revenue, pardon me? Uh, that's something that uh, they would be better assessed to discuss. Sure. Um, sure. But that is does bring up a very good point. I, I'd like to go down for just a second. Is um, the Stacks ecosystem one or a further unique position, uh, both on the token and then the net, the ecosystem itself? So another thing about the token is that Stacks was the first uh, SEC qualified initial token listing. So the team actually went through an entire process. There's SEC documentation of their regulated uh, token offering uh, that they did, I believe, in 2009 uh, as well, or excuse me, 2019. I keep keep moving that, uh, that one and two out of the years. But yeah, back in 2019, they held a uh, SEC regulated token offering which in which they raised uh, capital off uh, as well. So the first to go through that process, uh, and then part of that offering and the mainnet launch in January 2021 was that the ecosystem would fully decentralize. Mm-hmm. And so instead of one team owning everything and controlling all of the development as it may move, the ecosystem sparked off a number of projects, another number of entities, over 30, almost 50 now different entities helped to contribute to uh, the network's development, growth, and uh, overall momentum as well. So the foundation, to your point, the Stacks Foundation is just one of many entities uh, within mm-hmm. the ecosystem. Um, and yes, helped begun, uh, began the network, but uh, has since continued uh, supporting in other ways. Got it, got it. Now, mm-hmm. pre-Stacks, I remember the big yeah. 
you know, but pre-stacks, I remember the big kind of like discussion, I guess, for layer twos around Bitcoin was Lightning, if I remember correctly. That was like, yep. I believe Jack was a big proponent of Lightning, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Can you explain the other differences? Is there progress happening there? Is there, are those competitive? Like, I, you know, I, I, I'm yeah. much more, I'm much more, um, uh, kind of knowledgeable about the stacks ecosystem, um, specifically mm -hmm. just personally, but um, love to understand a little bit of the nuance difference between something like Lightning and Stacks. Yeah, so I've referred to four different networks uh, in today's discussion, and and those are referred to as kind of the core four or the big four. Yeah. Um, so Lightning, Stacks, Rootstock, and Liquid. Mm -hmm. um, from in terms of general activity, so. Uh, again, the three Lightning, Rootstock, and Liquid each. Uh, use a version of either Bitcoin or uh, wrapped BTC as their native token, and Stacks has its own STX. Um, in terms of smart contracts, so Lightning does not have smart contracts in That's its right. on its protocol. Yep, yeah. uh, Rootstock has a, a variation of it, and Liquid did as well, and of course uh, Stacks. Um, they all have different programming languages as well. Sure. So, Stacks, Stacks is what, Clarity or something, if I'm not mistaken? Uses Clarity, yes. Uh, and uh, in the near future, we'll open up to a few more with the upcoming Nakamoto upgrade, which sure, we'll, we'll talk about. Yep. Um, Rootstock uses a version of Solidity because they are EVM, Ethereum Virtual Machine compatible. Uh, and then Liquid uses a different one uh, as well. Their consensus mechanisms are slightly different in how they refer to each other. So as I mentioned, uh, Stacks is uh, a layer two. Rootstock is also a layer two uh, in their reference. Uh, they Their consensus mechanism is around proof of work, POW, same as Bitcoin. Uh, but they do use some merged mining as well, which is a whole nother thing. And then Liquid is uh, or has defined themselves as a federated sidechain. Uh, there's a lot of technicals in there, but the point is, each of them are um, their own bit of uniqueness uh, and have a very certain and specific purpose uh, in the early days of Bitcoin layers. And today we're now seeing each of these ecosystems start to mature and start to find their way in the future of where things go. So just as a, a quick note, Rootstock, for instance, EVM compatible out of the gate, working with Solidity, um, has had a lot of growth in um, the early days of Bitcoin layers, and now is kind of rebranding themselves, looking at new applications and um, growing number of developers. Lightning is probably one of the most active in terms of all of the uh, networks, and to your point, is probably one of the most known. Uh, if you're looking at reading anything about Bitcoin layers, Lightning is probably the first network that pops up uh, in terms of uh, who and what they're doing. And Lightning, uh, right now has very much been used for micropayments yeah. on Bitcoin that allows mm -hmm. you to send anything instantly, uh, anywhere, anytime uh, for little to no cost uh, in terms of transactions uh, as well. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. So it's mostly focused around payments uh, and then Rootstock and uh, Liquid and Stacks, I'll say generally are, are focused on um, more categories. Lightning has been very focused on micropayments and payments in general. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I want to touch on ordinals for a quick second. So, you know, yeah. I'm, an old, I'm an NFT guy. NFTs, I started buying NFTs in 2018 yeah. on Super Rare. Um, I'm, you know, probably 
you know, top 50, top 100 in NBA Top Shot. So like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an OG in the NFT space. Uh, I just recently, over the last few months, got my first Bitcoin NFTs. Um, I haven't bought a ton, but I just wanted to like get, dabble a little bit. Um, first, I wanted to talk, talk to you about, you know, have you, you know, have you played around in the NFT market at all with Bitcoin in the Bitcoin NFT market? Have you, you know, is there any, do you have any favorites? What are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll be the good parent and say I have no fi- favorite child uh, in this situation, <laughs> but uh, I have been lucky enough to witness uh, not only the early marketplaces and infrastructure, but some of the early projects. And I think we've seen some very unique uh, projects in the Bitcoin ecosystem over the last two and a half years. Uh, now with the spark of ordinals, we saw a whole new world because it brought inscriptions. I was the just ability to, to ins- explain that. Yeah. Like explain that yeah. So the ability to not just create a NFT, which in a very simplistic way, not to take away from anything that anyone has built, but instead of just having an image, uh, now you're able to, an image that may be stored somewhere, uh, which isn't talked much about, but most NFTs uh, have generally been stored on like IPFS or um, in some kind of cloud storage uh, capacity. What Ordinals opened up is for you to take that same image and actually inscribe it uh, onto the, onto onto the, the Satoshi itself. Onto the Satoshi, therefore onto the Bitcoin network to forever live as long as the Bitcoin network is there. So and now you're able to- Controversial, right? That was a controversial um, concept in itself. What was, so, what was the yeah. controversy about there? I think the initial controversy, in my opinion, was that this has just never been done before. Uh, I mean, it's new technology. It was a whole new process. Uh, up until that point, I think we had seen just NFTs and the explosion that they were and hadn't thought anything other than what potential metadata or data they had behind them and what other applications they could be used for. Inscriptions brought a whole new world together of, okay, these things can be forever and they can be inscribed onto a network. But furthermore, let's open up the world beyond images. And again, I don't want to take anything away from any of those yeah, uh, that have been created because there's been a lot of experiments. It's been really exciting to see. But now think about it from content, media, uh, code bases that all can live forever. So one of the early uh, experiments that came with inscriptions was taking some of the code base of the original Doom video yeah. game Sorry. and inscribing that as an executable code base on uh, ordinals to then a, a Satoshi to then Bitcoin. Right. Now, having played that, it was very basic, very pixelated, and not uh, the desired yeah. um, creation for that, but just showed like how you could take this code base that we all held in, in such high regards and now store it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, uh, you could do that with uh, images, you could take that from a media standpoint. Uh, so headline to uh, mm-hmm. a book. I saw an early experiment of someone taking 1984, uh, the entire That's cool. book, and inscribing that so that it could never, the original version would always be there. If anything ever changed, everything was ever altered, there was ever a revision of that book, the original 
That's so cool. That's a really great Great concept. I love that. I also think it's really interesting that people were buying and selling rare Satoshi. So like, for example, there were Satoshis that were included in the the famous pizza transaction. And you can inscribe on a pizza Satoshi or Satoshis that were uh, mined by Satoshi Satoshi Nakamoto. You can inscribe on a Nakamoto Satoshi. I think that's a really interesting concept in and of itself as a collector. Like, you know, I collect history of, I think protocol yeah. and chain history is a really fascinating thing. Like I bought, I've bought in Top Shot moments that were the first mints on Flow. I bought in NFTs that were the first minted project on Solana. You know, I've bought, bought in early 2018 art on Ethereum. Like I find it to be really interesting around buying history there. And I think that these, the rare Satoshis, I, I don't know if anything will come from it, but I did find it as a really fascinating like way to put some nuanced value on a random Satoshi that you're inscribing on. Yeah, and, and it sparked, I mean, it sparked a cultural revolution on not just uh, NFTs, but also, again, back to building on Bitcoin and something that uh, people got very excited about. I mean, if you look at the growth curve of transactions, and also the amount of gas fees that it, it then sparked as well uh, on Bitcoin, it was exponential. Uh, how fast that has continued to rise uh, mm-hmm. as well, and um, you know, being able to put immutable on-chain digital artifacts, so any kind of digital media, onto a network like Bitcoin, yes, was controversial in the beginning. Still, is questionable to um, in the the cost and uh, for gas fees to then some of the transaction speeds that have now slowed down on the Bitcoin network, but it also started the reason why we need to pay close attention to layer twos and scaling solutions and take things back up a level uh, and have a lot of the activity there, help it settle, and then come back down uh, and store in some capacity. It also, one other thing to to note, as you brought up Topshop as well, one other thing it brought up was it sparked a whole new set of token standards and experiments. Uh, I think as of today, I think I'm tracking 14, maybe 15 different token experiments, everything from runes to uh, STX20, uh, S ordinals, which are now inscriptions on the Stacks network that before they go down to the Bitcoin network, to BRC20s, yeah. uh, BRC721, which is a replication of uh, ERC720. Uh, that we saw as well. So wild amount of innovation sparked off of this one protocol that was actually, what many may not know, was actually created in the summer of 2022. And the first inscription, I believe Casey Rattamore, who was the creator of it, I believe that was in December of 2022. But the real spark came as we started to see that momentum in January, 2023. So Okay. A little history. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. So I I so I've been, you know, as I play around with the ecosystem, um, yeah. you know, for me I think it's really I think it's really interesting just to get your hands dirty on on in an ecosystem. So like, you know, go through uh, you know, get a wallet, buy the NFTs, use some DeFi, do some staking, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um before so I want to kind of go through that a little bit. First, um, let's talk wallets for a quick second. So I'm so I've so far um, the the wallet that I use so far is has been Xverse. I don't know if like if you have any preferences, recommendations, or what have you seen been the most adopted? I'm actually super curious about that. So like I've used I've used Xverse for Bitcoin stacks and uh, and their NFTs. Are there other? Is that the the most used? Are there others? Like what what is being what's the popular ones? 
Yeah. Uh, well, shout out to the X first team. I didn't even have to mention their name. So this yeah. is great. Uh, yeah. You called it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. We also have a uh, leather, which was a, a wallet originally created by Hero. It was one of the first wallets in the ecosystem mm -hmm. uh, and then was recently acquired by uh, Trust Machine. So you have Xverse and Leather are two of the main wallets uh, that are used in the uh, ecosystem as of today. Also, Multisig is coming through Insignia. Uh, and then we also have Rider. Rider is a hardware-based wallet uh, mm -hmm. or uh, custody, very similar to Ledger we've seen on a larger scale. Um, so yeah, those would be a handful I would just toss out there. So For Rider, sure. Xverse, Leather, and then uh, as I mentioned, Insignia is coming uh, very soon as well. Got you. Okay. And then when we think about, are you? is it surprising at all that like something like a MetaMask or OpenSea, some of the biggest, you know, Web3 onboarding platforms out there haven't yet embraced like or adopted or integrated um, Bitcoin or Stacks yet? Is that like is that surprising or is there any like you know obviously there's going to be technical hurdles, but it's a it's surprising to me a little bit that they haven't done that faster. Like Magic Eden adopting the Bitcoin NFTs, I thought was massive for the entire space. Oh yeah, not only adopting but then creating a whole separate brand, a whole additional marketplace, which leads into the technical side, but really embrace the entire community as well. And I couldn't agree more that that is a that was a huge, uh, huge opportunity. Move. I think they staked claim um, where others could have as well. But I think to MetaMask, OpenSea, and a few others, um, you know, on the OpenSea side, we have Gamma, which is a huge uh, network mm -hmm. and a huge NFT marketplace that has been around for two years now. Yeah, that's where I got mine as well. Yeah, and so I, I think. A lot of it has been technical hurdles, just because of some of the some of the developments and technology on the Bitcoin side. Whereas uh, with Ethereum and EVMs, a lot of it is very similar in terms yeah. of opening up to new protocols. And, yeah. and then I will also say we're, we're two and a half years in to yeah, a lot right. of this, and are, yeah, and arguably a year and a few months in. Yeah. Uh, and so some of this innovation is happening so rapidly. I think a lot of, this is my opinion, not speaking for them, just my opinion, is a lot of it is seeing what's going to play out, what is and where the interest is going to be, uh, and then starting to open that up. Again, 12 plus different token standards, yeah. a lot of what, and, and experiments, a lot of which have been created in the last 90 days, 60 days. Uh, for someone like a large NFT marketplace or, um, you know, hot wallet, for instance, to start accepting all those um, without proven track records, um, only having been around for 60 to 90 days, I think is, is a little bit of a high risk um, when they have a very solid core base. Yeah. That said, yeah. it has led a lot of opportunity for those who, who want yeah. to get in first. Now, granted, and I, and I, so now having experienced this, I wouldn't have been able to say it if I hadn't, you know. It is just absurdly slow, uh, absurdly yeah. slow. You know, buying an NFT, <laughs> yeah. it just it it just will say pending for like forty five minutes to an hour, maybe more. Yeah. Um, you know, I've used um, Alex um, their their DeFi protocol a bunch. I think it's really yeah. um, I think that's a really like a important platform. I also think Bitflow is yeah. really interesting. It's just overall the speed is just just ridiculous. So. 
that I think actually lends itself to the Nakamoto conversation a little bit. Maybe we talk about what's coming because like, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, we all are passionate about it, but the, you know, this is like, it is outrageously slow. And I can only imagine living in that world every day, like to be only in that world. It like, I use crypto just as, you know, more than I probably use fiat, like dollars on a daily basis in my life. I know, which is crazy yeah. to sound as a human being in this day and age, but like, I use crypto a lot, you know, to have, if I was, if I was like really deep in the Bitcoin and, and, um, and, uh, Stacks ecosystem having to use that all the time, I'd probably lose my mind. So, as someone like you who's like around this space so much, you know, you must be really, really looking forward to the Nakamoto upgrade. Let's talk about it a little bit. What's what is it? What's going on there? And um, why should we be excited about it? Yeah, so a lot of moving pieces there. And before I I, I go down, I want to call out Alex for a minute. So you mentioned Alex. Uh, you know, initially launched as a decentralized exchange or DEX and an AMA auto, automatic uh, market maker, but has since, in the last two years, exploded into its own layered ecosystem or uh, financial layer, uh, if you will, where it has created not just the Alex protocol, but it has created a decentralized exchange, DEX, and an AMM. It has an aggregator. It now has just introduced Lisa, which is a uh, liquid stacking mechanism. It also has introduced a bridge called Xlink. It has oracles. It has a launch pad. It has so much. And we're seeing a few other projects of that nature really flourish to support all these moving pieces of infrastructure that either are needed or are experimental to see how they may or may not work as things scale and speeds improve. So just want to touch on that. Let's talk about speeds. Yeah, let's talk about it because it is slow. And and you know when the initial network was launched, that was thought about, but not to the scale that it is and has been today. So initially, the network for Stacks launched to be settling directly with and onto the Bitcoin network. So it was paired, if you will, with the Bitcoin network. So settlement times for a transaction ranged anywhere from 10 minutes generously to 90 minutes plus and this was the idea initially to keep that stability stability to keep that security uh and with that we saw sparked of of applications we saw a lot of use usability and all of a sudden a, a lot of congestion that i think was not anticipated in its early launch fast forward two and a half years later things cannot go that way anymore. And so all those entities, those 50 plus entities and developers and like have been focusing on the next major upgrade. This will be the first major upgrade, pardon me, since the mainnet launch in January, 2021. So there have been some minor ones. Yeah, there have been some minor ones that have continually uh, provided incremental improvements. This one will come in a massive upgrade. Uh, form as well. So for those who don't know, the Nakamoto upgrade will has just been announced in its time frame. It will come right around the halving, uh, the Bitcoin halving. So right now, the window of launch is between April 15th and April 29th. So that's yep. second half of April. Mm-hmm. And what this Nakamoto upgrade will do is it will help to bring transaction times down dramatically so poor drew is not stressed out and no one else is uh and no developers or projects it'll bring them down from that 10 to 90 plus minute range 
to five seconds. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it'll also create this new level of Bitcoin finality with settlements first on the L2 on stacks. So within five seconds, sometimes a little bit more, a little bit less, yeah. right around five seconds. Okay. So that you can do massive transactions and have them settle in a short amount of time to the L2 stacks, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then further the Bitcoin finality and let that settle all the way down to the Bitcoin network. But you as the user, to your point of, of NFTs, you can buy an NFT faster. And then once that transaction has bulked into many other transactions, it'll settle down to the Bitcoin network, but you won't know that. You'll be act- interacting, you'll be moving at your five second pace uh, as well. So, so that's huge. That's huge. That's a game that game. is huge. Yeah, and it'll also create a separate security budget for, for the, the technicals that are listening out there, it'll create a, a separate security budget than that uh, of Bitcoin today, uh, which will further improve uh, that speed as well. And then we're also, also we'll have the introduction of subnets. So let's nerd out for a second. So you've got Bitcoin, the L1, the network. Mm-hmm. You have Stacks, the L2, mm-hmm. uh, the scaling. You'll have what's considered almost an L3, a layer three called subnets that allow for the trade-offs of centralization and decentralization and faster speed. So for those who may be aware, this is similar to say the evergreen subnets that are existing in the Ava ecosystem. It's just kind Mm -hmm. of a one-to-one example as well. Uh, It'll also open up uh, a whole new world around uh, programmability with the launch of Wasm and being able to um, open new programming languages and maybe even offer up whether that's Rust or Solidity in the future that's as well. And then huge. yeah, quick quick translations into uh, clarity contracts uh, if and when that's that's necessary in the future wow. as well. And then we'll also open up uh, SBTC, which will be a decentralized one-to-one Bitcoin-backed asset uh, that will help and allow for users to move Bitcoin between the core Bitcoin L1 and then stacks the L2 uh, as well. So back to our very first point of this conversation of, you know, why would you want to build on this this network? There's 800 plus billion dollars worth of untapped and unmoved and untouched capital, unutilized. Yeah. Now with the launch of SBTC after the Nakamoto upgrade, you'll be able to move that Bitcoin onto an L2 and then into the application layer as, as well. Unbelievable. Okay, so yep. that's that's huge. Um, I, I got two questions I want to kind of like follow up on here. One, okay. has there been any um, kind of like, you know, big partners or brands or instant, like, you know, has there been any of that like kind of like big brand adoption yet that's shown interest in building in the Bitcoin ecosystem? And is like, is everyone kind of just waiting for the Nakamoto upgrade and then making decisions? Or are people like, hey, we want to be here. We're going to start now. Where where are like some of the larger, you know, kind of more like conservative brands that like finally made some moves into the Ethereum ecosystem, whether it's through metaverses or NFTs or applications, whatever it might be, you know, what's happening on the Bitcoin ecosystem in that regard? So we'll separate those into a few buckets. So consumer brands, for instance, consumer brands, in fairness, are still slow to adopt into the Bitcoin ecosystem, which is fair and fine as of now. On the institutional, the financial institutional size, 
Mm-hmm. Um, we have, of course, seen the 12 plus ETFs that have come to launch. We also have a number of institutions that have invested in projects that are building on Bitcoin across ecosystems, not just in stacks, but across ecosystems. A lot of that is public uh, knowledge that's out there, and I'm happy to answer any questions. If any of the viewers have them, they can just shoot me a message on Twitter. Um, but in terms of, I'd say, enterprise or Web3-based brands, yes, you do have Ledger, you have Luga Nodes, uh, you have Figment, uh, and a number of others who've continued to find their way into various parts of this, whether it's Stacks, it's Lightning, it's uh, RSK or, or Rootstock, um, also be squared to uh, a number of other networks uh, as well, are starting to see these enterprise or more established Web3 brands start to find their way into the ecosystem, either as partners, as network supporters, as signers, or in some uh, shape or form, helping to educate and and really rise up uh, the application ecosystem or developer ecosystem as well. Okay. Very cool. So let's, so what, where do you see, like, let's think into the future a little bit. Where do you yeah. see this? Where do you see the Stacks ecosystem? Maybe first in one year, and then let's talk even five years out. Yeah. So, uh, well, actually, one one part of your 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 other question I forgot to mention, which leads into this, is you know, kind of where are people today? As we're about two and a half, almost three months out to the Nakamoto yeah. upgrade, so there is a number of companies that are yes, working behind the scenes to integrate uh, the. Nakamoto upgrade into their current application or their soon-to-be-launched application, whether that be testnets, mainnets. There's a ton of activity behind the scenes right now. And there are a number of projects and brands that are having those conversations in preparation to begin integrations post-Nakamoto. Because you also have, again, the Bitcoin halving that a number are waiting for, um, you know, to integrate some of these innovations takes time. So uh, yes, a lot of working towards that, but um, there is definitely work happening, whether that's hackathons that are happening, there's uh, early incubation and prep programs to work with companies to integrate this on a technical level as well. So where do I see this all in one year? Well, right now we've got a huge major technical upgrade and, and that's going to come in a few parts. And fast forward a year, I'm looking to see the ecosystem on stack side really grow and flourish and go from hundreds of companies to hopefully thousands of country, companies, which may be aggressive, but I think that that's something we could see as we are seeing more ecosystems start to bridge mm-hmm. into stacks. And then looking at the layer two ecosystem, I could see that going from kind of the big four in these 20, 30 plus to seeing maybe even six, seven, eight, or even double-digit layer twos uh, that are finding their place within uh, the scaling solutions as well, but also start to see the early days of roll-ups, seeing the use of discrete large, large log contracts, so DLCs, and what is probably one of the more talked-about networks, excuse me, um, projects in the Bitcoin ecosystem is BitVM and what that may or may not look like over the next 12 months. So in terms of a year from now, more projects post Nakamoto. So we'll see how faster transaction speeds, not just impact current projects, but introduce new projects. 
On the token standard side, we're seeing 12 plus. I'm excited to see what new experiments come and how, say, BRC20 to S ordinals to runes to all these others mature past the 60 day, 90 day mark that they currently are right now. And then the introduction of roll ups, new bridges, and last but not least, and then I'll come back to BibVM. Last but not least, what happens after? 800 plus billion dollars of capital can suddenly be utilized. So looking a year from now, that's a very big unknown and a very exciting unknown. And whether that be because of Stacks, the Nakamoto upgrade and SBTC to some of the other networks introducing a similar decentralized peg, it's going to be a very different ecosystem, but a very different landscape in general 12 months from now. Five years from now, I mean, you've got what could be a 90 plus, depending on uh, various estimates um, from myself to other investors as well, you could see a 90 plus billion dollar market just in stacks and a hundred plus billion dollar market in L2s, layer twos around Bitcoin as well. So you've got a huge, we've got a huge opportunity to really see this flourish in a way that again, we just haven't seen exponentially. Do you think it competes? Do you think it competes with Ethereum application ecosystem within five years, or like where do you think the applicate like the layer twos of Bitcoin versus the layer two of Ethereum and Ethereum applications? How do you think those kind of compare when we look out five years? Yeah, so I I think it I think it actually could. Um, again, that's a bold statement, and I no, and I understand that, I, and I think that there's room for both. Fair. It's fair. You know, it's yeah. definitely good for both. But if we look at the market caps, I, I forgot the exact um, uh, percentage ratio, but we could put that in the show notes somewhere. I mean, if you look at the market caps between Ethereum and Bitcoin right now, uh, there's a massive difference. So if Bitcoin is able to capture, or excuse me, if, if applications and developers are able to capture the same percentage for L2s in, in the ecosystem, that Ethereum L2s are able to capture today, you would have a very quick flippening, as it's referred to, from um, of the Ethereum ecosystem, yep. uh, as we know it is today. Now, that said, in five years from now, both will hopefully continue to mature, and both will see um, some excitement. But yeah, I think we we could very much see that flipping, flippening in, yeah. um, in five years from now. Yep. And yep. Um, yeah. Okay, so with that one year and five year conversation, we got happening coming up. Yep. End of the year, end of twenty twenty four. What's the price of Bitcoin? What's your <sighs> prediction? Let's throw it out there. Throw the dart. Oh my goodness! Yeah, uh, end of year happening. Not financial advice, educational purpose only. This is only for fun. Trivia sure. question of Buffalo sure. Wild Wings. Here sure. we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we we surpass. 60 and we look towards 75,000 and I'll leave it at that. I don't think we go much higher, much lower. I think we, we settle somewhere in this range of plus 50, but right around 75. Perfect. All right. All right. I think that's conservative. I think that's conservative still. Um, you know, like I, you know, with the happening and the experience we've seen that could, you know, with the institutional capital, you know, like I think, you know, if I was to venture a guess, I, you know, my, and I guess maybe I'm an optimist, but like, I think we hit 75 probably with probably, you know, potentially by the time the happening even happens. 
Um, and I think that post having by the end of the year, 150 to 250 is kind of my kind of kind of my range. I just think that the demand is so is so great, and with supply reducing at the rate it is, and with the adoption of applications that we've never really seen yet take place in the Bitcoin ecosystem, it just with and I actually thought even just the uh, the, the the conversation between um, not to get too into the, to the politics of it all, but the the conversation the interview with Putin that just happened recently, it just felt like this it was like an advertisement for Bitcoin. You know, it was just there was so many components that are just like so many different factors right now that are playing a role in driving the narrative that Bitcoin really is the global reserve currency and the digital gold, Um, not to mention with more utility now that there's layer twos on top of that digital gold. I just find it to be a very it's a there's a lot of really interesting momentum behind it. Well, and, and you're bringing up a, a great point. I mean, from the government level, we have several governments that are looking at Bitcoin either as a reserve asset, as an asset to include somewhere and somehow within uh, their respected countries. There's a lot of efforts happening in Argentina uh, as well right now. And we know El Salvador, we, we know a few of them, but there's many more that have publicly or quietly discussed how they are utilizing and seeing Bitcoin in some capacity. You also have a number of corporations that continue to add it to their balance sheet, again, very loudly publicly or others uh, a little bit more privately. And there's a few websites that do a great uh, job of that. And you're right. We have a whole unknown ahead of us in the next 12 to even 24 months of what this application ecosystem can spark into when it comes to Bitcoin layers, um, which is incredibly uh, exciting. So where we go from here is is a little little unknown. and. To kind of come back to your question about Bitcoin and Ethereum, so I just pulled up a stat. It, it wavers from day to day, so it's anywhere from six to twelve percent uh, is how much the Ethereum L2 uh, market cap is of the overall Ethereum market cap. Mm-hmm. So if we see a bull case, just basic math, bull case uh, that the Bitcoin L2 market cap reaches a similar percentage, um, we're looking at a fifty plus. Yep. billion dollar market cap if it matches i uh, at the time i did this equation was about six percent so you're you're looking very quickly uh at a flipping if it gets to that capacity but again yep. both respected networks are growing they're changing shifting constantly as well so yeah and there's some great investors that have put out theses uh as well so thesis uh dot co to um uh pantera uh portal uh, a handful of angels that have uh, North Rock Digital and a handful of others that have put out really good theses uh, mm-hmm. to match some of these numbers. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, last last thing I wanted to just uh, touch on with you before we go. Yeah. So you know, first of all, everyone like RBV Redbeard Ventures, you guys know we're an active Web three blockchain uh, fund. We're in, we invest in a wide range of um, you know blockchain oriented businesses. We are by no means a maxi in any ecosystem, but we are very interested in investing and supporting the development and growth of the Stacks ecosystem. So if you are building you know, technology, new businesses, innovative ideas in Stacks, get in touch with us, You know, whether it's email, drew at redbeard.ventures or hit me a DM on Twitter at Drew Austin. Can we talk quickly about N21? So I know RBV is gonna yeah. be one of the supporting funds involved, but you know, tell, tell us a little bit about N21. Yeah, so there are a number of projects and initiatives going on throughout the Stacks ecosystem to support applications, to support developers, to support teams at every stage, whether that be with the Stacks Foundation and 
their grants program to DGrants, which is another grants program. There's incubators and accelerators from Bitcoin Startup Lab to Bitcoin Frontier Fund and a number of others from documentation with Bitcoin Primer, Bitcoin Rights, and the foundation themselves, along with GitHub and a number of other resources available. And then recently introduced and so thankful, Drew, to you, Alana, and to the entire uh, Redbeard team to support and be partners with. So N21 is a Nakamoto prep program. Uh, It was just introduced myself and Mitchell, who's the executive director at the Stacks Foundation, along with a rock star cast of community members, others in the ecosystem, founders, investors like yourself, have come together to support projects that are looking to integrate and prepare themselves for the Nakamoto upgrade that is coming in April. So over the next two months, we'll be working with a number of founders and their teams to make sure that they have the technical resources and capabilities, along with partnerships, business development, marketing, and everything in between, and also working with investors on preparing, whether it's their story, their pitch, or just having those conversations leading up to the mid-April or second half of April launch of Nakamoto. So we're here just supporting founders, working with them, trying to give them an added boost, leading into this, again, massive upgrade for the Stacks network. And it's not specific to just companies building on Stacks. It's those that are building across Bitcoin that uh, see Stacks as an opportunity for uh, their users and for their uh, protocols or projects. Yep, yep. This is super awesome. happy that you guys are supporting. No, nah, we're, we're really excited about it. Kyle, this is always a pleasure, buddy. It's a, we've been, You and I have been Thanks, mixing man. it up for more than a decade now about Frontier Technology. So always excited to be running the same circles. Um, this again, guys, thank you so much. If you like the conversation, like, subscribe to Redbeard Radio. Thank our sponsor, Alto, for sponsoring our content and our podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm super excited to see where this whole ecosystem continues to develop and mature. We got a lot of milestone dates coming up to look forward to as we discussed with the having and Nakamoto. So uh, we're going to probably have to check in again in the near future and do an update, Kyle. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, thank you so much, Drew. Couldn't be, again, more appreciative of you having me on today and for all that Redbeard Ventures has done, not just for the Stacks and Bitcoin ecosystem, but in general for the Web3 ecosystem as well and all the great investors that you and the team have educated, opening up the doors and pathways for them into the Web3 industry as well. So thank you. And again, honored to be here. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. This has been a Redbeard Ventures production.